Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are studying the 18th parak of Melachim Bet, which is another jam-packed and really quite dramatic parak. We turn our attention to the kingdom of Yehuda, to the southern kingdom, and we learn that there is a new king, King Chizkiah. Should be noted, he, he takes the throne before the north is exiled. So we're jumping back a little bit in time. Now you may recall that Chizkiah's father, King Achaz, turned out to be a very bad king. He was the one who brought in the Assyrians to come and fight against the northern kingdom. And then he was so enamored of the Assyrian culture that he fashioned the Beis HaMikdash in its image, reflecting the Assyrian cultic practices and rites. A bad king. Uh, but his son, Chizkiah, turns out to be uh, exactly the opposite, an outstanding outstanding king. He was a student uh, of Yeshayahu HaNavi, and we're told uh, here in Sefer Melachim, Hashem David Aviv, that he was righteous, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. And as such, he undertakes massive religious reforms, he destroys all of the Bamos, he destroys all of the pagan uh, practices, all the pagan rites, and all of the Avodah that is in the land, he purifies the Beis HaMikdash, he even invites the people that are remaining in the northern kingdom to come and to celebrate a unified Pesach together with the people of Yehuda in the Beis HaMikdash. So there's this really sweeping reform. He is a transformative figure. Militarily, he, he has success fighting the Plishtim, as we would expect. And politically, he stops paying tribute to the Assyrians. He ceases to be a vassal state to them, completely upending his father's relationship with the Assyrians. His father established the relationship with the Assyrians, and as a result, he brings in Avodah Zarah and all sorts of forms of, of pagan worship. He completely undoes all of that, not only uh, religiously, but also politically. He undoes all of his father's doings and would seem to be, um, by all accounts, the kind of king who would have a long reign and would see a lot of success. But very quickly, things seem to take a turn for the worse. We learn that after the Assyrians exile the northern kingdom, they turn their eye to the southern kingdom. Now, I'll just note, there's a new Assyrian king, right? We've, we've seen actually a transition of a number of kings. Now we're dealing with the king Sancherev, or Sennacherib in English. So the parak tells us that Sancherev captures all the cities of Yehuda, uh, and uh, it does so in like a, a, just a very sweeping, just like one pasuk, just tells us he conquers all of, his, uh, all, all of uh, the cities of Yehuda. We actually have sources of this in ancient Assyrian royal records, which is very interesting. And uh, I'll, I'll say further that, that the, the text tells us that Chizkiah is going to send a message to the Assyrians who are then stationed, having conquered uh, Lachish, that they're, they're, now, they're now stationed in Lachish, in the city of Lachish in, in Yehuda. So uh, uh, why, is it, why is that of note? So it happens to be that Lachish was next to Yerushalayim. It was the, the largest, probably the largest fortified city. And indeed, we find in, uh, in Sancherev's palace, archaeologists have found these 13 huge reliefs, uh, these huge depictions of the battle to capture Lachish. Right? So this was like, in, his, in, in the mind of, 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 uh, of Sancherev, the, the capture of Lachish was like a massive achievement, and, and there are archaeological digs on Lachish have found dimensions of the city that... Um, corroborate the images uh, that are on these these giant reliefs in Sancherev's palace. So it's just fascinating how, you know, the, the, at least here in Sefer Malachim, there's no real accounting of the Battle of Lachish, 
but uh, it's just kind of, uh, it's a footnote. It doesn't even tell you that they conquered Lachish. It just tells you that they're stationed in Lachish. But um, when you have that broader historical picture, you get a sense that this was, this was like a crowning achievement for Sanchir, that he would put up these massive monuments to, to commemorate and depict this victory. It must have been a really fierce battle. So it's one of these great uh, examples where extra-biblical sources shed a lot of light on what's going on, where, whereas our text, which is not a history book, is interested in its own theses and its own fo- fo- foci, not necessarily on giving you all the juiciest details uh, of history, per se. Okay, so um, Sancheirev captures all of the, the most of Yehuda, and, and what's left is Yerushalayim. Now, reading this, we should be bothered. And I kind of foreshadowed this a moment ago. Why? Because how is it that a king who is so righteous, who oversees such positive reforms, and I, I haven't even enumerated all of the wonderful things that Chizkiyahu achieves that we know from Sefer Yeshayahu and that we know from how could the nation fall prey to the Assyrians in such a swift way with, with uh, a king who is leading them in such a positive direction? And it seems that to answer this question, to answer this question, we have to recognize that Sefer Malachim's account of this event is both partial and also out of order. Right? So if we, we pe- pe- kind of piece things together from these other sources of Yeshayahu and Debrei Yamim, it becomes more clear that, that Chizkiyahu is being punished for, for falling victim, in, in, kind of ironically, to the same error that his father made. Right? Even though uh, he's worlds apart from, from Ahaz, uh, but both men, despite the protest of Yeshayahu Hanavi, engage in political alliances um, looking for for military support from, from other nations rather than exclusively turning their eyes heavenward. You know, we we could argue, well, what about doing, you know, the proper hishtadlis that you need to, to do in order to protect yourself? And, and you know, we can we can we can be sympathetic to uh, a nation turning to others for for support. Uh, but ultimately, it seems that that is the, the flaw here that that brings about the, the wrath of the Assyrians to the to the doorstep of uh, of Yerushalayim and to do do all the damage that they did to the rest of the kingdom of Yehuda. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming prakim. For now, let's just focus on the narrative uh, in the balance of this parak, which really zooms in, right? We've, we've kind of been at this 30,000-foot view of describing events from way up here. Now we're going to go into a first-person account. First, we're told that Chizkiah sends a delegation, as I said, to the Assyrians who are in Lachish, and he offers them a tremendous bribe, right? This is a last-ditch effort to try and get them to, uh, to, to turn around and to leave alone uh, this nation, which obviously is very much at its, seemingly, you know, from plain military senses, at, at its mercy, right? All that's left is Yerushalayim. Uh, so they clear the, the treasuries of the Beis HaMikdash and all of the king's treasures, and, and tragically, they, they remove the gold from the doors of the Beis HaMikdash, literally, literally undoing the progress that Chizkiyahu himself had made in glorifying and sanctifying the Beis HaMikdash. It's, it's hard to hear. And Ultimately, the bribe doesn't even work. Sancheirev sends his forces to insiege Yerushalayim, and he sends Rav Shaket to deliver a message to them. Chizkiah, uh, in turn, sends out his own officers to go and to speak with Rav Shaket, and, uh, and the people of the city are kind of on the walls of Yerushalayim hearing this. All, all of these things unfold. Right? They're, they're all um, watching this exchange. And so Rav Shaket te- tells the, the, the officers, but he's really telling all the people listening the following. He says, firstly, who, who do you think you're going to rely on? Right? You think you're going to rebel, you're going to stop being a, a vassal state to the Assyrians, you're going to ally yourself with someone else, who are you going to turn to? Egypt? You're going to trust them? He basically says you can't trust the Egyptians as far as you can throw them. And plus, he says, 
you think the Egyptians are strong, right? The Egyptians are always synonymous with horses, right? The Torah tells you, tells the Jewish kings can't go back to Egypt in order to amass horses. He says, the Assyrians could provide you with more horses than you have people to ride them. He says, they said that you, you think they're, right? Not only can you not trust them, but, but even if you could trust them, we're so much vastly stronger than they are. He says, or maybe you're going to rely on your God. After all, he, as, this is Rav Shakes speaking. He says, Chizkiyahu has really straightened things out, right? He's destroyed all the pagan worship, right? Rav Shakes done his homework. He says, I, I know you think that you've reformed and now you're, you're uh, all, you know, perfectly righteous and pious. He says, well, guess what? Your God is the one who sent us to destroy you. That's, that's an amazing, that's such a remarkable statement, because after all, Rav Shakeh is, 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 what he's saying is consistent with the thesis of, 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 of much of Tanakh, right? It's a, it is the idea that when the Jewish people suffer uh, and at the hands of another nation, it's not because that other nation is somehow stronger than the Jewish people and God, but rather it's because God has used them as, a, as the rod by which to punish the Jewish people. They are the pawns. And so Rav Shaket brilliantly, he, he, he's, he's breaking down uh, the, 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 the Israelites here, the Bnei, Bnei Yehuda. He's breaking them down with such a, a compelling argument. He says, you're going to turn to your God now? Guess what? Your God is the one who sent me. He's the one who gave us the power to do this. And at this point, he, he's making such compelling and frightening arguments to, to, uh, to these emissaries, to the people that, that, uh, that the king, Chizkiah, uh, had sent. He, he, they turn to him and they say, you know, can we speak in in your in your native tongue in Aramean? Let's not speak in in Hebrew and Yehudit anymore. Why? Because they don't want the people on the wall to hear this. This is so disheartening to everyone who is watching this exchange take place. And 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 Rav Shaket, he he. First of all, just let's just note Rav Shaket. That means he was speaking in Hebrew. So not only does he understand the theology of the Jewish people, he's speaking in their in their mother tongue. Right? He's he, Rav Shaket is like just an absolute. Um, just so formidable and frightening right now. And Rav Shaikh says, I will absolutely not speak just for you and me to hear. This is for everyone to hear. And he starts yelling out. He starts yelling out to the people on the wall. And he says, you think, he's directly appealing to them. He says, don't trust your King Chizkiyahu, right? You think that he's going to tell you that you should turn to God? Well, guess what? Your God is not going to save you. If you surrender the king of Ashur, the king of Assyria, he'll give you a parcel of land and you're going to survive this. But if you don't surrender, don't think your God is going to save you. He says, Me bakol He says, you know, every land has their God and, and none of them were spared when the Assyrians came and conquered them, right? Every, every nation, he says, calls out to their God and guess what? Where were their gods when we, when we were able to destroy all of them, right? So he's really just absolutely inspiring terror in all of these people who are ensieged and, and are listening to these words. And the people hearing it, to their credit, they don't respond at all as per the king's orders. The king told them, do not respond, do not engage, and they told the line. They are silent. But the officers, when they bring back these words from Rav, of Rav Shaket to Chizkiyahu, uh, to they're absolutely in despair, and they're in, they're, they've torn their clothing and the parak ends with things looking very, very grim. Uh, but hope is not all lost. And I, I look forward to picking up with this cliffhanger when we learn again and study chapter 19, Perek Yud Test. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.